come out. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning, a great pleasure. And um, we're going to continue through uh, our series in the book of Matthew. And uh, you should uh, hopefully have that worship guide with you. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, before we get started, let's uh, pray together one more time. Lord, we again just want to thank you for this honor and privilege of gathering here together. Lord, and now we ask um, for just more grace, Lord, more grace to hear from you, Lord. Um, We want this, uh, as we continue in this somewhat unusual season, Lord, we want it to be a season of uh, beholding you, Lord, in a way that we never have before. And we want it to be a season of growth, Lord, and sanctification, and just a time, Lord, where you have your way in our hearts, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, even with the joy that we experience today, Lord, when we're able to gather together inside again, Lord, I pray that there's been overwhelming sense, Lord, of your presence in our midst. We pray that we begin this morning, Lord, and we pray for ears to hear, God, and eyes to see. We pray as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, we pray that the words of Jesus uh, with which he closed the sermon would weigh upon our hearts, Lord, that we would be like the wise men who hear and do and thus build our houses upon the rock, Lord, and not be like the foolish man who hears but doesn't do and builds his house upon the sand. So help us build our houses, Lord, upon the solid rock, of Jesus Christ. And we just ask for uh, your work in us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, So as I mentioned, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. In uh, Martin Lord-Jones preached a famous series to the Sermon on the Mount. And in that uh, series on this passage, he when, when talking about prayer, this is This is what he had to say about man and prayer. He said, the highest picture that you can ever have of man is to look at him on his knees waiting upon God. That is the highest achievement of man. It is his noblest activity. Man is never greater than when he is there in communion and contact with God. And so in this uh, portion on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is beginning to talk about Prayer And the sermon this morning is entitled, How to and Not to Pray. How to and not to pray. And there's a lot we can learn about prayer, and we're going to be talking about it over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I believe Lord Jones is right. The highest picture you can have of a man is to look at him on his knees. And so our desire um, is to be a people of prayer because God hears prayer. God answers prayer. And a church is only as effective as it is a praying people. And so I pray that through this message, God will use it to make us more and more prayer. So now if you have your, your Bible, you can look there on the, the, the sheet, um, the, the, the worship guide that you have. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The word of God. So I want to see two things from our passage of scripture this morning. Uh, Number one is the danger of pride in prayer, the danger of pride in prayer. And number two, the danger of going through the motions in prayer, the danger of going through the motions in prayer. First, we want to look at the danger of pride in prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, what is so shocking about this passage of scripture (laughs) is that according to Jesus here, prayer can be a sin. Prayer can be a sin. Now, of course, that's not an excuse for prayerlessness, but the sobering reality should hit us with its proper force. Jesus says we can be in the very house of God or we can be. You know, God help us preaching from the front of the church building. And yet, and lifting our voices up to God in in high and lofty terms, and it be nothing more than an abomination to God. And that is the great danger of prayer. And Jesus is saying in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, the danger of hypocrisy in religion. And so Jesus actually gives a, a, a straightforward command here. A straightforward command. The kingdom citizen. Right. So I've said that the Sermon on the Mount is talking to disciples. So it's not talking to everybody. We can't expect non-believers who don't have the power of the Holy Spirit inside them to live out the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is really only possible for those who have been turned from their sins and followed Christ, who have been empowered, born again from on high and received the power of God by receiving the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom citizen, the one whose heart has been ravished by the grace of God in Christ and who has experienced supernatural rebirth. Then, who, and who is supernaturally enabled to keep Christ's commands from the heart. This person, Jesus says, must not be like the hypocrites, must not be like the Pharisees, must not, must not be like someone who is externally religious, but just, uh, ju- but just for the goal that they would look religious. Hypocrites of all stripes are bad, and there's plenty of them everywhere. But almost certainly the worst type of hypocrite is the religious hypocrite because it is in the very act of religion that he violates his own message. And the Pharisees, Jesus said, they love to pray in the synagogues um, uh, and on the street corners. But and the most important part of what he says is this. He says they did this in order that they might be seen. They did this in order that they might be seen by others. So. Just like as we talked before a few weeks ago when Jesus was talking about not being hypocritical in our giving and giving in secret and not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In the same way, he's saying it it holds true for our prayers that when we pray, are we praying out of the love for God? And are we in our prayers, are we engaging God or are we consumed with ourselves? And he's saying that these these that. People and these Pharisees and uh, the religious hypocrite. If you if we if we pray or if we do religious activity, 
just for people to see. He says, you better enjoy that now. You better enjoy the praise of men now because you will not have the praise of God later. And the danger of pride in prayer and pride in our own spirituality can be so subtle, and that's why it's so dangerous. You know, it's, it's very tempting to say, well, I don't pray on the street corners, um, so whew, I'm off the hood. But I think that would be missing the point of what Jesus is saying here. I don't know about you, but when I reflect, I can think and, and note with great grief the amount of, of just, just self-awareness and self-consciousness that I have in my own spirituality, the, the temptation that the temptation that we face, that I face to to do this or that, not out of love for God, but just because it's what a good Christian does or it's what a pastor should do or it's what my people are expecting of me rather than because I love God and because I want to worship God. It's very tempting. It's very subtle. It's very... And so what are ways that pride can creep into our spiritual life in our prayers? Well, one example is obviously the public prayers that Jesus is talking about. Maybe most of us don't maybe most of us don't publicly pray on a regular basis, but still it's a very dangerous thing. Public prayer can be treated like a performance rather than an encounter with the king of the cosmos. We can pray publicly, but as we're praying we publicly we have the people around us in mind more than the God to whom we're praying in mind. It's very subtle and dangerous. Prayer can be made more to enthrone oneself rather than to enthrone God. It can be made to stir up other people hearing rather than to plead with God. Now, of course, when we are praying, there is an aspect of edification that we should, to some degree, have others in mind to build up other people. But our, when we pray, our primary audience is always God. So that's the question. In our hearts, when we pray, are we praying for Others and for ourselves, are we praying for God? Secondly, prayer can pride can creep into our prayer. Um, in that, we don't have to be praying in public to have pride in prayer. We can be praying in secret, in fact. And and even in our praying in secret, we can unconsciously be patting ourselves on the back for how spiritual we are, right? Or you know, I've heard it said before. Um, and, and this is, is tragic that it can be said, but I, I've, I've heard it said before. Um, if you want to make a Christian feel guilty, ask them about their prayer life. And uh, and the thing is, is, when you start talking about prayer life and someone describes their prayer, two things lots of times happens. Either if you're doing better than somebody else, you, start, you kind of feel good about yourself. And then otherwise, if you see if you hear about someone else's never do that. And you start playing the comparison game. And you see... The, the, the comparison game is the worst because you always lose. Sadly, it's true in anything. You always lose the comparison game. If you're doing better than somebody in your perception, then you get pride. You get proud and you lose. If you're doing worse than somebody in your perception, then you become self-conscious and you feel, and you, and you feel uh, guilty and you become self-aware and you lose. Because in both cases, what happens is that you're making prayer, for example, you're making the prayer ultimately about you and not about God. Yes, it's true that Jesus prayed all night long on many occasions. But the lesson from that is not that we should necessarily pray all night long. Jesus wasn't out there looking at his clock thinking, I got to pray all night. Jesus was out there praying all night long because he had to commune with his father. He had to be with his God. 
So it's not about keeping a clock. It's not about, it's not about checking off boxes. It's about being God, worshiping God, needing and attaching ourselves to God's power through utter dependence upon him. And so in either way, either through pride or through, um, uh, or through just self-consciousness or, or, or even a, a sinful sense of one's own weakness that focuses on that. Either way, the devil has his way because we're focusing on I. And so it's an internal battle. It's an internal battle. You can, you can be proud in your praying by, being, by trying to be overly eloquent in your prayers. You can also be pri- proud in praying by not even wanting to pray in public because you're too self-conscious about it. Okay, but see, that's a subtle form of pride, too, because you're more embarrassed about what other people are thinking than about praying to God. You see, pride is so dangerous and it's so subtle. What is Jesus's solution to pride in praying? His solution is this. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The principle that I'm saying that Jesus is teaching is this, that when we pray, we are to pray in such a way that our focus is where it ought to be. Our focus is on God. That that both in private and in public. But Jesus is teaching here wisely, I believe, that because of the weakness of our human nature, there's just such a great temptation to pride in, in when, when we're praying with other people around. So unless praying in private is a steady, daily, habitual part of our lives, we will not have that regular communion with God that we need that to pray with humility when we do pray in public. We need that time alone to we need that time alone when no one is around to cultivate a heart of secret prayer to God, to cultivate a heart of personal intimacy with to cultivate um, just this just this natural this this, this sense and this, this a naturalness of when we pray, we're engaging with God and not thinking of people and that that posture in our heart is forced by private praying when we don't have other people around and then when that when that is stamped upon our heart through much private praying that then gives us the freedom in public praying a habit we've worked in our mind to not be thinking about others but to be thinking about god and so that principle is the key Jesus is clearly not forbidding all public praying. Jesus prayed in public. He, he, he prayed with his disciples all the time. He's not forbidding all public prayer. He's saying that our communion with God in prayer should rapture our hearts. Our minds should be caught up in our praying with God. Pride is so deadly because it would accompany, it would accompany us even in our prayers. <laughs> it would cling to us even to the gates of heaven. And so what do we do? The answer is this. We pray. (laughs) We pray. The best place to begin is to pray in secret. Pray in secret. Pray when nobody knows. Wake up in the, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, pray. Wake up early and pray. Pray in your car. Pray in secret. Pray when nobody knows. Pray when there'll be no temptation to think about other people. Just pray and pray and begin to cultivate in your heart. A sense of focusing on God and earnestness in your pleading for God. Remember when we pray. Remember when we pray that we are talking to an all-wise, all-powerful, almighty, all-loving Father. And that's the heart of our praying. A Father who wants what's best for His children. And so we're not keeping a record. We're not comparing What we're doing is we're just talking to God. We're engaging with our Father, and that is prayer. 
That is prayer. And the more we do it in private, the more freedom that we'll have in other contexts to pray with a pure heart. So number one, the danger of pride in prayer. And number two, the danger of going through the motions in prayer. The danger of going through the motions in prayer. Verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so Jesus is continuing uh, to talk about prayer. And this section is talking about primarily hypocrisy in religion. But he expands his teaching on prayer a little bit. And not just the danger in pride in prayer, uh, Jesus is saying, but there's also a danger in in, uh, in 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 his words, being being a babbler or he, heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. And so we have to ask, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, in pagan religion, um, typical of that pagan religion is praying and repeating oneself uh, in in set prayers or set phrases. You know, it's just it's very rich, it's very ritualistic, right? And and even and and it's not just something that happened back then. It's something that happens today. It happens all over the world today. It happens in our churches today. Okay, in other parts is in other parts of the world where there's tribal religions or things like that, and they that they fear the spirits and they think, well, if I pray to the spirits so many times a day, and if I offer the right sacrifices to the spirits, and if I can just make the spirits happy, then they'll make my crops grow, or they'll make it rain, or they or they'll give me a child, or they'll they'll help my sick child live, and so. What is that? Well, there's no, there's no relationship. If anything, it's fear. It's thinking if I do this, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll get, I, I can get what I want from the spirits or from the gods, right? And that's it's 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 it's, uh, it's ubiquitous in, in all human religion, both in the past and in the present. And so it, it's, it's rather easy then to imagine. You know, an ancient pagan worshiper in Jesus' day going into the temple and offering the sacrifices and doing all the right things, just hoping that they would get what they want. And Jesus says, that is not how you relate to God your Father. We do not, as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ, we do. God is not like a vending machine. Nor is God capricious. That means, that means God isn't just, God isn't just, uh, totally indifferent to our plight, just doing just doing things willy-nilly, uh, helping one person here and not helping God God is not God is not like that. God is consistent. God's character never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God is not like that. And so he's saying we should not treat God like that. We don't heap up empty phrases. We're not just try, we're not just trying to push the we're not trying to push God's right buttons. So that we can get what we, we're not trying to be a nice little Christian so that God will love me. That's not how a relationship to God works. And that's what Jesus said here. He says, do not think, do not be like them for your father. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Christ, we have a personal relationship with God. That we know him, that we're not trying, that we're, God is already pleased with us in Jesus Christ. So when you, so when you pray and read your Bible and when you go to church on a regular basis, God loves you. And then when you begin to stumble in those things, guess what? Through Jesus Christ, God still loves you. 
Because God's love for you is based not upon what you do, but, but upon what Christ has done for you. And because through faith in his beloved son, God now counts you a beloved son and daughter of his. And so we don't, so we don't relate to God like that. We don't have to live in fear of God. We fear him in the sense of reverence and respect him, but we don't, but, but we're not offering, God doesn't need anything from us. We're not trying to give something to God as if he needs it so that he'll repay us back. We can't put God in our debt. God is free and generous. He owns it all, and he loves us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we don't pray like this. We don't try to push God's buttons. And this is dangerous, and it's true. It's true. Uh, it's, it's, it's very tempting to do that. It's tempting for us to do that. It's tempting for other people to do that. Uh, you know, like maybe you've seen, uh, not to pick on Catholics, but, you know, they have the rosary beads, and the, they have all the beads, and you know what that's for, don't you? You, you pray your way up the, up the necklace, and each little bead... You pray a certain prayer, then you go up to the next one and you pray another certain prayer, and you work all the way around till you've prayed all your prayers. And it's it's difficult to see how that doesn't fall under what Jesus is saying here. Is that if I pray a certain set prayer a set number of times, that'll make me right with God. That's not how it works. Jesus Christ makes you right with God. Faith in His Son makes you right with God. Not praying a certain amount of prayers or giving a certain amount. If you love God, yes, you will pray. If you love God, yes, you will attend church. You will do all those things. But that's not what that's not what makes God love you. He loves you because you've united your, you believed in his son. And his son has died for you. And so this is important for us to remember. God hears the prayers of his people because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. And therefore, Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. If my if my son came up to me, if my if my son was was raking the yard and and picking up trash and, and cleaning up everything, and I you know that's a little unusual, you know I didn't ask him to do that. And I'd go outside and I say, son, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing all this work? He says, because I want you to love me. What would I say? I would I would feel dishonored. Why? Because he thought I didn't love him. He thought he had to earn my love. He said, Jesus is saying, don't, if you trust in me, if you believe in me, don't treat God like that. He's your father. You don't have to earn his love. He loves you because of what Christ has done for you. And that's, that's huge there. God is our father. You see, it's so common to us, but that, that's the, the Jews in, in Jesus' day perceived it. Jesus' direct reference to God as Father was, was rather uncommon. Right? The Old Testament does not refer to God as Father very often. And when it does, it usually just refers to him in the context of his relationship to national Israel in, in their covenant relationship with one another. But see, Jesus kind of blows that up because he comes in and he teaches you, me, personally, individually, to address God as our Father. A Father, my Father, your Father. It's radical. It's different. In Christ, in Christ, we are the children of God. You don't have to twist God's arm to get him to love you or to want to help you or to pay attention to you. 
That might be what that might be how the gods of the pagans act, but that is not how the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob acts. The God of Moses and David, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Second Chronicles sixteen nine, it says, "For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him." Uh, a little bit later. In the book of Matthew, Jesus will compare our value to the value of birds. Uh, I read it. I came across an article that said this. That said 13.7 million birds die a day. 13.7 million birds die a day. And I think that was just in the United States. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, God is so sovereign that not even a bird falls to the ground in the woods. And nobody even knows it, but God knows. And it doesn't happen apart from the sovereign will of God. And that same God, Jesus says, is your father. And he says, don't be afraid. You're of more value than many sparrows. In other words, God's not far off. He's not distant. And if he's your child, he's watching over you. I want to suggest this morning that God is more concerned about your life than you are. God is more concerned about your future than you are. God is more concerned about everything than we are. And so we don't have to beg. We don't have to try to coerce him. He cannot love. If you are in Jesus Christ, God cannot love you more than he already does. And he cannot love you less. What should that do? It should free us. It should free us from trying to perform for God and free us to simply love God. Just love them with our hearts and with our lives. And that's how, that's how we pray. That's how we pray. That's why we pray. We pray not to perform for anybody. We pray because God loves us through Jesus Christ. We pray because he's not far off. We pray because he cares. Because he cares about things. I was thinking about this this week. There's a there's this weird story. You may remember it in the Old Testament. Right. One of the prophets had 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 an axe and he was chopping down a tree by a river and the axe head flies off and falls in the river and it sinks. You remember that story? And and he tells the prophet Elisha, he tells him, Master, what am I going to do? I borrowed the axe. It's somebody else's axe. What am I going to do? And Elisha takes a stick and throws it in the water and then the axe head floats up. And that made me think, you know what? If I, God cares about if I borrowed something and lost it. He cares about something as insignificant as that. Does he not care about every other aspect of your life? God cares. So what do we do? We pray. We get on our faces through Jesus Christ and in his name and we recognize that we're not performing a ritual, but we're talking to the God of the universe and we make known our pleas to him and we trust him. And that's why Jesus over and over said, 
unless you come to me like a little child. The kingdom, you can't have the kingdom. We, we come to God like a child. And as we come to God as children, and as, as children who are looking in faith and trusting their powerful, strong, wise father, as we come to him, we can have faith that he hears and that he will answer. I, it's, my, it's my perspective that God, and I, God answers every prayer. There is no single prayer that goes unanswered. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is not yet. But God answers every prayer. Why? Because he cares. Because just like a good father, he cares about his children. And so what do we see this morning? Number one, the danger of pride in prayer. And number two, the danger of going through the motions in prayer. So let us beware, church. Let us beware of the danger of pride. And let us beware of the danger of going through the motions. And, and, and all of those, are they're, they're tempting at different times. And the key in everything is this, to remember that, that we're not performing for other people and we're not performing for God. We're not trying to push the right buttons. All we're trying to do is this, talk to our Father. Seek our Father. Acknowledge that we need our Father. And so the answer to these dangers in prayer is, is not to not to pray. You know, prayerlessness is probably the worst kind of pride, right? Because it thinks that I don't even need God. The, the answer to these solutions is not to not pray, the, to these problems is not, is to not not pray. The answer is to, to believe God, to trust in Him, to look to Him and remember that He is our Father. He is our Father. And so as I close this morning, I just want to, I just want to ex extend a simple invitation to you. And that invitation is this. First of all, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the invitation is to remember this day and to just stamp it upon your heart. Remember, God's your father. God's your father. You don't have to perform for him. He loves you, so just love him. Through Jesus Christ, it really is that simple. And the second invitation is this. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then God is not your father, not in the most important way that counts. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then rather than having your sins forgiven by, by God through Christ, the Bible says you're still under God's judgment and God's wrath and God's punishment. But that invitation, what Christ has done, it stands that if we will come to God through Jesus Christ, he will do what? Adopt us into his family. And that's the invitation. This morning, wherever you are, if you're watching online or if you're out here or however you're listening, if you will this moment turn from your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, who did what? Who lived the life without sin 2,000 years ago, who died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins that our sins deserve, who paid it. For us, And then on the third day, he physically, bodily rose from the dead, came up out of the tomb, appeared to his followers and told them, if you believe in me and if your sins are forgiven in me, what happened to me will one day happen to you. Because your sins are forgiven in me, death will ultimately have the last word in your life. But because I live, you also will live. And if you turn from your sins and trust in Christ right now, he will forgive all of your sins. Past, present, and future, you will be adopted into the family of God. You will be able to call upon God as your Father who is in heaven. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that his love for you is not dependent on what you do or could do, but on what Christ has done, and you can have the peace of knowing that you belong to God. And the hope of eternal life, that when it's all said and done, we will live forever with him in a world free from sin. That is the invitation that stands for you this morning, if you'll trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, what an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Lord, I just confess to you, Lord, how often, Lord, I succumb to this, to a just a sense of going through the motions in spirituality. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, that you'd forgive me. And for all of us, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, help us remember, Lord, that you love us through Jesus Christ and that we have the privilege to know you and to be known by you and that we come to you, God, not, Lord, we come to you as children, as children. And so help us, God, to remember and help us, I pray this week, have just a fresh sense, God, of your love as we pray, as we read the Bible, Lord, as we worship, it would be out of just a heart that loves you, God, because you have first loved us. And I pray also this morning, Lord, that if there's just even one Lord hearing this message who does not know you, who does not know that their sins are forgiven in you, I pray that this morning they would know by turning to you by saying in their hearts, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I believe in you. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again. I believe that you're coming back. Forgive me, God. Save me. Change me. I surrender my life to you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. And I pray